Chapter Seven of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Crandall. Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. Chapter Seven. Miss Marchbanks had so many things to think of next morning that she found her cousin, who was rather difficult to get rid of, much in her way. Naturally, the young man was briefless, and came on circuit for the name of the thing, and was quite disposed to dawdle the first morning, and attach himself to the active footsteps of Lucilla. And, for her part, she had things to occupy her so very much more important. For one thing, one of Dr. Marchbanks's little dinner-parties was to take place that evening, which would be the first, under the new regime, and was naturally a matter of some anxiety to all parties. "'I shall go down and ask Mrs. Chiley to come with the Colonel,' said Lucilla. "'I have always meant to do that. "'We can't have a full dinner-party, you know, as long as the house is so shabby. "'But I am sure Mrs. Chiley will come to take care of me.' "'To take care of you, in your father's house? "'Do you think they'll bite?' said the doctor grimly. "'But as for Lucilla, she was quite prepared for that. "'I must have a chaperone, you know,' she said. "'I don't say it is not quite absurd.' "'But then, at first, I always make it a point to give in to the prejudices of society. "'That is how I have always been so successful,' said the experienced Lucilla. "'I never went in the face of anybody's prejudices. "'Afterwards, you know, when one is known—' "'The doctor laughed, but at the same time he sighed. "'There was nothing to be said against Mrs. Chiley, "'who had, on the whole, as women go, a very superior training, "'and knew what a good dinner was.' But it was the beginning of the revolution, of which Dr. Marchbanks, vaguely oppressed with the idea of a new paper, new curtains, and all that was involved in the entrance of Mr. Holden the upholsterer into the house, did not see the end. He acquiesced, of course, since there was nothing else for it. But it must be confessed that the spectre of Mrs. Chiley sitting at his right hand clouded over for the doctor the pleasant anticipation of the evening— if it had been possible to put her at the head of the table beside Lucilla, whom she was to come to take care of, he could have borne it better, and, to be sure, it would have been a great deal more reasonable. But then that was absolutely out of the question, and the doctor gave in with a sigh. Thus it was that he began to realize the more serious result of that semi-abdication into which he had been beguiled. The female element, so long peacefully ignored and kept at a distance, had come in again, in triumph and taken possession, and the doctor knew too well by experience of a long life what a restless and troublesome element it was. He had begun to feel that it had ceased to be precisely amusing, as he took his place in his brougham. It was good sport to see Lucilla make an end of Tom, and put her bridle upon the stiff neck of Nancy, but when it came to changing the character of the doctor's dinners, his intellect naturally got more obtuse and he did not see the joke. As for Tom, he had to be disposed of summarily. "'Do go away,' Miss Marchbanks said, in her straightforward way. "'You can come back to luncheon if you like. That is to say, if you can pick up anybody that is very amusing, you may bring him here about half-past one. And if any of my friends have come to call by that time, I will give you lunch. But it must be somebody very amusing, or I will have nothing to say to you,' said Lucilla. And with this dismissal, Tom Marchbanks departed, not more content than the doctor, for, to be sure, the last thing in the world which the poor fellow thought of was to bring somebody who was very amusing, to injure his chances with Lucilla. Tom, 
like most other people, was utterly incapable of fathoming the grand conception which inspired Miss Marchbanks. When she told him that it was the object of her life to be a comfort to papa, he believed it to a certain extent. But it never occurred to him that that filial devotion, though beautiful to contemplate, would preserve Lucilla's heart from the ordinary dangers of youth, or that she was at all in earnest in postponing all matrimonial intentions until she was nine-and-twenty, and had begun to go off a little. So he went away disconsolate enough, wavering between his instinct of obedience and his desire of being in Lucilla's company, and a desperate determination never to be the means of injuring himself by presenting to her anybody who was very amusing. All Miss Marchbanks's monde, as it happened, was a little out of humour that day. She had gone on so far triumphantly that it had now become to be necessary that she should receive a little check in her victorious career. When Tom was disposed of, Miss Marchbanks put on her hat and went down Grange Lane to carry her invitation to Mrs. Chiley, who naturally was very much pleased to come. "'But, my dear, you must tell me what to put on,' the old lady said. "'I don't think I have anything new since you were home last. I have heard so much about Dr. Marchbanks's dinners that I feel a little excited, as if I was going to be made a Freemason or something. There is my brown, you know, that I wear at home when we have anybody.' and my black velvet, and then there is my French grey that I got for Mary Chiley's marriage. Dear Mrs. Chiley, said Lucilla, it doesn't matter in the least what you wear. There are only to be gentlemen, you know, and one never dresses for gentlemen. You must keep that beautiful black velvet for another time. Well, my dear, said Mrs. Chiley, I am long past that sort of thing, but the men think, you know, that it is always for them that we dress. Yes, said Miss Marchbanks, their vanity is something dreadful, but it is one of my principles never to dress unless there are ladies. A white frock high in the neck, said Lucilla, with sweet simplicity. As for anything else, it would be bad style. Mrs. Chiley gave her young visitor a very cordial kiss when she went away. The sense she has, said the old lady. But at the same time, the colonel's wife was so old-fashioned that this contemptuous way of treating the gentleman puzzled her unprogressive intelligence. She thought it was superhuman virtue on Lucilla's part, nearly incredible, and yet established by proof so incontestable that it would be a shame to doubt it, and she felt ashamed of herself. She, who might have been a grandmother, had such been the will of Providence, for lingering five minutes undecided between her two best caps. I dare say Lucilla does not spend so much time on such vanity, and she only nineteen, said the penitent old lady. As for Miss Marchbanks, she returned up Grange Lane with a mind at ease, and that consciousness of superior endowments which gives amiability and expansion even to the countenance. She did not give any money to the beggar who at that period infested Grange Lane, with her six children, for that was contrary to those principles of political economy which she had studied with such success at Mount Pleasant. But she stopped and asked her name, and where she lived, and promised to inquire into her case. "'If you are honest and want to work,' "'I will try to find you something to do,' said Miss Marchbanks, which, to be sure, was a threat appalling enough to keep her free from any further molestation on the part of that interesting family. But Lucilla, to do her justice, felt it equally natural that beneficence should issue from her in this manner, as in that other mode of feeding the hungry which she was willing to adopt at half-past one, and had solemnly engaged herself to fulfil at seven o'clock. She went up after that to Mr. Holden's, and had a most interesting conversation, and found among his stores a delicious damask, 
softly spiritually green, of which, to his great astonishment, she tried the effect in one of the great mirrors which ornamented the shop. "'It is just the tint I want,' Lucilla said, when she had applied that unusual test, and she left the fashionable upholster of Carlingford, in a state of some uncertainty whether it was curtains or dresses that Miss Marchbanks meant to have made. Perhaps this confusion arose from the fact that Lucilla's mind was occupied in discussing the question whether she could not go round by Grove Street, and try that duet again with Barbara, and invite her to Grange Lane in the evening to electrify the little company, or whether, in case this latter idea might not be practicable, she should bring Barbara with her to lunch, by way of occupying Tom Marchbanks. Lucilla stood at Mr. Holden's door for five seconds, at least, balancing the matter. But finally she gave her curls a little shake, and took a quick step forward, and without any more deliberation returned towards Grange Lane, for on the whole it was better not to burst in full triumph all at once upon her constituency, and exhaust her forces at the beginning. If she condescended to sing something herself, it would be indeed a greater honour than her father's dinner-party, in strict justice, was entitled to. And as for the second question, though Miss Marchbanks was too happy in the confidence of her own powers to fear any rivals, and though her cousin's devotion bored her, still she felt doubtful how far it was good policy to produce Barbara at luncheon for the purpose of occupying Tom. Other people might see her besides Tom, and her own grand coup might be forestalled for anything she could tell. And then Tom had some title to consideration on his own merits, though he was the unlucky member of the family. He might even, if he were so far left to himself, though Miss Marchbanks smiled at the idea, fall in love with Barbara, or, what was more likely, driven to despair by Lucilla's indifference, he might pretend to fall in love, and Lucilla reflected that if anything happened she could never forgive herself. This was the point she had arrived at when she shook her tawny curls and set out suddenly on her return home. It was nearly one o'clock, and it was quite possible that Tom, as well as herself, might be on the way to Grange Lane. But Lucilla, who, as she said, made a point of never going against the prejudices of society, made up her mind to remain sweetly unconscious of the hour of luncheon, unless somebody came to keep her company. But then, Miss Marchbanks was always lucky, as she said. A quarter of an hour before Tom applied for admission, Miss Burry came to pay Lucilla a visit. She had been visiting in her district all the morning, and was very easily persuaded to repose herself a little, and then, naturally, she was anxious about her young friend's spiritual condition, and the effect upon her mind of a year's residence abroad. She was asking whether Lucilla had not seen something soul-degrading and dishonouring to religion in all the mummeries of popery, and Miss Marchbanks, who was perfectly orthodox, had replied to the question in the most satisfactory manner, when Tom made his appearance, looking rather sheepish and reluctant, and followed by the somebody amusing whom Lucilla had commissioned him to bring. He had struggled against his fate, poor fellow, but when it happens to be a man's instinct to do what he is told— he could no more resist it than if it was a criminal impulse. Tom entered with his amusing companion, who had been chosen with care, and was very uninviting to look at, and by and by Miss Burry, with the most puzzled looks, found herself listening to gossip about the theatres and all kinds of profane subjects. "'I think they are going to hang that fellow that killed the tailor,' said the amusing man. "'That will stir you up a little in Carlingford, I should suppose. It is as good as a play for a country town.' Of course there will be a party that will get up a memorial, and provide that a man so kind-hearted never existed out of paradise, 
and there will be another party who will prove him to be insane, and then at the end all the blackguards within a hundred miles will crowd into Carlingford, and the fellow will be hanged as he deserves to be. But I assure you it's a famous amusement for a country town. Sir, said Miss Burry, with a tremulous voice, for her feelings had overcome her, when you speak of amusement, does it ever occur to you what will become of his miserable soul? I assure you wretches of that description have no souls, said the young barrister, or else, of course, I would not permit myself to speak so freely. It is a conclusion I have come to, not rashly, but after many opportunities of observing, the young man went on with solemnity, on the whole, my opinion is, that this is the great difference between one portion of mankind and the other. That description of being, you may take my word for it, has no soul." "'I never take anybody's word for what is so plainly stated in the Holy Scriptures,' said Miss Bury. "'I never heard any one utter such a terrible idea. "'I am sure I don't want to defend a—a a murderer,' cried the rector's sister, with agitation. "'But I have heard of persons in that unfortunate position coming to a heavenly frame of mind, "'and giving every evidence of being truly converted. "'The law may take their lives, but it is an awful thing, a truly dreadful thing,' said Miss Bury, trembling all over, to try to take away their soul. "'Oh, nonsense, Lucilla! By Jove, he does not mean that, you know,' said Tom, interposing to relieve his friend. "'Do you believe in Jove, Mr. Thomas Marchbanks?' said Miss Bury, looking him in an alarming manner full in the face. The unfortunate Tom grew red, and then he grew green under this question, and that awful look. "'No, Miss Bury, I can't say I do,' he answered humbly, and the amusing man was so much less brotherly than Tom, that he burst into unsympathetic laughter. As for Lucilla, it was the first real check she had sustained in the beginning of her career. There could not have been a more unfortunate contretemps, and there is no telling how disastrous the effect might have been, had not her courage and coolness, not to say her orthodoxy, been equal to the occasion. She gave her cousin a look which was still more terrible than Miss Bury's, and then she took affairs into her own hands. It is dreadful sometimes to see what straits people are put to to keep up the conversation, said Lucilla, Tom in particular, for I think he has pleasure in talking nonsense. But you must not suppose I am of that opinion. I remember quite well there was a dreadful man once here in jail for something, and Mr. Bury made him the most beautiful character. Every creature has a soul. I am sure we say so in the creed every day of our lives, and especially in that long creed where so many people perish overlastingly. So far from laughing, it is quite dreadful to think of it, said Lucilla. It is one of my principles never to laugh about anything that has to do with religion. I always think it my duty to speak with respect. It has such a bad effect upon some minds. Miss Bury, if you will not take anything more, I think we had better go upstairs. To think that Tom, whose luck, as usual, had betrayed him to such an unlooked-for extent should have been on the point of following to the drawing-room, was more than Miss Marchbanks could comprehend. But fortunately his companion had more sense, and took his leave, taking his conductor with him. Miss Bury went upstairs in silence, sighing heavily from time to time. The good woman was troubled in her spirit at the evident depravity of the young men with whom circumstances had constrained her to sit down at table, and she was sadly afraid that such companionship must have a debasing effect upon the mind of that lamb of the flock who was now standing before her. Miss Bury thought herself of Dr. Marchbanks's profane jokes, 
and the indifference he had shown to many things in which it was his duty to have interested himself, and she could not but look with tender pity in her young friend's face. "'Poor dear,' said Miss Bury, "'it is dreadful indeed if this is the sort of society you are subjected to. I could recommend to Dr. Marchbanks a most admirable woman, a true Christian, who would take charge of things and be your companion, Lucilla. It is not at all nice for you, at your age, to be obliged to receive young men like these alone.' "'I had you,' said Lucilla, taking both Miss Bury's hands. "'I felt it was such a blessing. I would not have let Tom stay for luncheon if you had not been there. And now I am so glad, because it has shown me the danger of letting him bring people. I am quite sure it was a special providence that made you think of coming here to-day.' "'Well, my dear,' said Miss Bury, who was naturally mollified by this statement of the question, "'I am very glad to have been of use to you.' If there is anything I desire in this life, it is to be useful to my fellow-creatures, and to do my work while it is called day. I should not think the time lost, my dear Lucilla, if I could only hope that I had impressed upon your mind that an account must be given of every careless word. Oh, yes, said Lucilla, that is so true, and besides, it is quite against my principles. I make it a point never to speak of anything about religion except with the greatest respect." and I am quite sure it was a special providence that I had you. Miss Bury took her farewell very affectionately, not to say effusively, after this, with her heart melting over the ingenuous young creature who was so thankful for her protection, but at the same time she left Miss Marchbanks a prey to the horrible sensation of having made a failure. To be sure, there was time to recover herself in the evening, which was, so to speak, her first formal appearance before the public of Carlingford, Tom was so ill-advised as to come in when she was having her cup of tea before dinner to fortify her for her exertions, and the reception he met with may be left to the imagination. But, after all, there was little satisfaction in demolishing Tom, and then Lucilla had known from the beginning that the success of her undertaking depended entirely on herself. End of chapter 7 Recorded by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California, December 2008